0: Well good morning everybody, uh, welcome to Willow Park Church this morning and uh, I'm delighted that you're here with us. If you're first time, my name is Pastor Phil, I'm the lead pastor here at Willow Park Church and uh, just a fantastic. A uh, couple of things I'd like to mention to you. First of all, uh, Chris Newfeld, who is head of our technical department, is 50 years old today, so um... oh yes. And that's commitment. He's up there working for us today on his 50th birthday, although he has had most of this month off. Uh, so, so, so we're delighted and excited about, um, about that. And of course, we are both uh, 1965 children. I know it's hard to see when you look at me. But um, sorry, Chris. Um, but we bless you, Chris, and thank you for all the work that you do and all that you're involved in. It is, it is amazing, and uh, we're really thankful for you and all that God is working in your life, and he's shared some amazing testimony in this last 12 months. Uh, secondly, what a blessing to hear Jordan's words. Uh, you know, he's off to the Middle East. I'm trying to avoid saying off to Jordan, to Jordan. It's a bit like praying for Phil. Lord Phil Phil. And, um, and, and he's off. he'll be in the foyer, no doubt. You can meet him. You can chat to him. Uh, he is uh, from our church. Uh, God has blessed him, his family. It's, um, it's really lovely to know that. And just to know, and as we see all the children going after kids church, remember he was one of those little ones running around. And now he's off to the Middle East uh, at the uh, some stage, so are excited about that and all that God is doing. Well, we've been teaching our way through a series called Changed and looking at different principles about how we change. Two weeks ago, I spoke to you about the power of community and that we need each other, and in fact, through each other, we learn to change, to adapt through our honesty, through our openness, through our transparency, allowing Christ to work in community because this is a key area and possibly the, the way in which you are to involve yourself in community are those areas that burden you and you feel a spiritual uh, drive towards there. Pastor Glenn last week spoke a powerful message on uh, strongholds and on the things that hold us back and being able to adapt that and, and change and step in and, and really this whole series is to encourage us and To challenge us to look for inner transformation as we become like Christ-like. I said one week that God is more interested in us becoming Christ-like than he is in our temporary happiness. And sometimes we are not happy, but in the process, God is doing something that is deep, that is remarkable, and that is powerful in our lives. And that's a journey. And I want to talk more about that as I build on what Pastor... Glenn shared on um, next week we have a guest speaker, Lowell Shepherd, who is an international adventurer, an author, uh, he, he lives in Japan as a missionary, and um, he has cycled around Japan, written books about it, and loves the subject of changed lives and so he 's not to be missed uh, next week as he will come and share with us and speak to us about this. can be proved to be a great uh, um, uh, weekend, And you'll see that in our email communication and our communication about his visit. But what happens when the heat in our lives is turned on? And I've entitled this, the um, God in your heat. You see... Scripture uses lots of illustrations about our lives and about how we should be. In fact, in January's introduction to, in, in, in September's introduction to this series, I spoke about how we can choose to be a fruitful tree, or we can choose to grow thorns and weeds in our lives when we face heat and difficulty. The Bible talks about heat and when there are times of desert, times of trouble, and it talks about times of blessing when the rain comes down. Now, you may live under the kind of idea that when you become a Christian, everything is going to be perfect. Now, I'm going to rain on your parade a bit here. Because things don't always go. And you may think I gave my life to Jesus. I remember I gave my life to Jesus as a young 15-year-old. And I walked out of that church excited and converted. And I thought, this is it. My life is going to be perfect. It's going to be like sailing in the Caribbean on a beautiful yacht. I'm going to be at harmony with everybody around me. We're going to make... Daisy chains and play guitars. Now I got converted in the um, at the end of the seventies. So you know we were making daisy chains and we were playing guitars in our churches back then. And the radical thing was we had guitars. And so I, I experienced. And I thought I, I I'd, I'd be. I will not experience accident and difficulty and sickness life is going to be great life is going to be perfect it's going to be dead calm it's going to be wonderful I'm going to find the perfect wife and we're going to live together and God's going to bless us and everything's wonderful I know that's your experience well no Because I know that life isn't quite like, I often, I said last night, and and Michelle was here, and I said, you know, I thought I'd, you know, every morning in our home as a Christian marriage, I'd jump out of bed, springing like a gazelle. I'd throw back the curtains and cry, oh, this is the day that the Lord has made. And my wife would just, just automatically spring up, perfect hair, smiling. Saying to me, and I too will rejoice and be glad in it. And we'll skip around the house carrying our tambourines. And God will be with us, and it would be wonderful. I don't always jump out of bed and say, Good morning, Lord. I drop out of bed, crawl across the floor, and say, Good Lord, is it morning? Um, that is my experience. And it's yours because sometimes what we have when we think about our lives is life is going to be perfect. Therefore, we have an unbiblical view of what our Christian walk can be and is like and the difficulties that we face. And that is a danger. And we are shocked and horrified when suddenly we look around and things are going drastically wrong. This isn't supposed to be the way. This isn't the way. Now, let me just... um, you know, point this out in our lives that we're shocked when we find ourselves in stressful situations. We question God's goodness and wonder what has gone wrong with our faith. And we think that God has changed the rules on us all of a sudden. And we're wondering what's going on. Now, let me give you a little scripture just to explain this. In Romans 8 verse 20 it says for the creation was subject to frustration. The first thing I want you to notice is the word frustration. In life you and I will face frustration. Aren't you glad you came to church? And you and I will face frustration. I face frustration regularly. If you are a parent of small children you will know the feeling of frustration. You plan a wonderful family dinner, and before you know it, if you have more than one child, all of a sudden, your kids are squabbling. Oh, you know, no, stop it. I've got two 16-year-olds, which is, let's just pray. Um, I have a a 12-year-old who's going to be a 13-year-old, and you know what that's like. And I have a nine-year-old boy. They're great, aren't they? You just feed them, they're like a dog. You take them out for runs and they come back. (laughs) I love, you know, it's so easy with boys, you know. Take them out twice a day for a run and they're generally fine. And, and so I've got all of this going on, the squabbles, and I experience life as frustration. Because of the fall, we have frustration in our lives. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and decay. The world is decaying. The world is hoping And it will receive liberation when there's the new heavens and the new earth and the king of kings will return and the clouds will open and the dead in Christ will rise and God will put all things right. But we are between ages and at the moment there is bondage and decay. You know that. Gentlemen, we know that because we look at our houses and although we do DIY and we paint it and look after it, it decays. I know that because I spent a lot of my life driving English cars, which are known for decaying, rusting. My first car was a Mini Coupe, little Mini. If you've seen the film from um, The Italian Job, then you know the kind of little small Leyland Mini. Uh, World famous, incredible, but they rust. I bought it at 17 and I bought it for $500 to take my driving license because I thought when it came to the three-point turn in the small little English European road, I wouldn't hit the curve and be disqualified. For well, that was good. The problem was that when you lifted up the carpet, light shone through. <laughs> the problem was that it was so rusty, good British steel that when it shone, that when I went to open the door, the door fell off and I had to lift it up on the hinges. This was not good to take my car to be with the test and the man that was taking me through the test. So I arrived at the test station. I thought, okay, I've got this sorted. First of all, I'd wear a tie, a suit, and smile and look like an angel. And so, secondly, so I got out in my time said, and I said hello to him. And I knew that if he opened the door where he had to sit, the door would fall off. So before he got to the door, I had to run around, grab the door, hold my arm straight, and open the door like this. Coming in. He goes, oh, hello, thank you, you're so kind. I said, yes, sir, thank you. And I put it back, knowing that if I let go of it, it would fall on the ground. <laughs> Went through the test at the end I, he went to get out i jumped out ran around opened the door for him again and then closed it it was a rusty car And I was relieved that I passed. Um, And and we know that there's decay, that there's bondage, that things. Not only that, but our bodies are decaying. From the moment we are born, we are dying. We know that our bodies change. Chris and I are fifty now. We are experiencing change in our bodies, which I won't go into. But wiry hairs are appearing in places they shouldn't, and and things are happening. There is decay, and there is bondage. You see, what the apostle is saying is, this is the world we live in. We live in a world of pollution. We live in a world of storms. We live in a world of wildness. We live in a world of broken relationships. We live in a world of plane crashes and train crashes. We see the terrible news even this week of a, uh, a terrible accident in um, On uh, uh, Victoria, uh, Vancouver Island, we, we see racism and genocide. We see the horrific nature of humanity and the decay and the bondage of sin that exists. He even goes on to say that we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. He talks about this sense, and for some of us, this is the life, this is the world we live in. But how do we live successfully? How do we cope? How do we step into all of this? How do we find God in the middle of the battle, in the middle of this world? You know, we feel the, the pain, and we groan, he used the illustration of pain, of childbirth, which I won't get into. But you understand that. But the beautiful thing about this, we may groan and have pain, but by using the phrase childbirth, is that saying that through our groaning and through our pain and what we carry, God can birth something that is beautiful and wonderful? And what more beautiful than a, young, a newborn baby, agreed? And you may be groaning, you may be traveling through a difficult time, you may be feeling the heat and the difficulty, and life is certainly not perfect. But I want to encourage you as your pastor this morning, that as we travel through difficulties, out of your difficulty, God can birth something amazing. Out of your groaning, God can bring new life. Out of your pain, God can do something within you. We live in this world and we can live as victorious Christians. And we can live as individuals who know God's strengths and power. Not only this, but I want to remind you that we have an enemy that prowls around and wants to destroy our faith. Not only are we frustrated in this world, not only is it in bondage and decaying, not only do we groan, but as Christians we have a gift that new birth will come, but we have an enemy. So I want to talk for a few minutes about lessons from the wilderness, about how we cope when we feel as if we are in the wilderness. The Apostle Paul In in, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and that whole chapter, in fact. But he explains that these things happened to the Israelites when they left Egypt... And the great deliverance, the plagues, the miracles, the work of God, the movement of God in that nation, freeing them after 400 years, they travel from there to the promised land, and they find themselves in the wilderness experience. You and I are the same. We have been delivered from the tyranny of sin and death out of Egypt, and slavery, and we are now free people, and we are God's promised people. We have the gift of life. We have the gift of eternal life within ourselves. But Paul makes the point, hang about, these things happen to them as examples Examples to us. In other words, we can look back and we can go, okay, I'm in the wilderness at this time. I am battling and the typical response to having a tough time are the things I'm going to unpack for you in the next few minutes. But when we face wilderness, we look back and we see their example and where it was written down as a warning for us. So I'm going to warn you. This morning, about how to and how not to respond to wilderness experience, which um, culminates of the ages to come. So we understand that there is a warning here. So what is the first lesson? Well, the first lesson comes from Numbers chapter 11. And if you're new to the Christian faith or you're open to it, let me explain the first five books, explain the history of the Israelite people and right the way from Genesis in creation all the way through to the Exodus all the way through to the death of Moses. And it tells a story of the struggle as a nation is born and that nation is born so that it can tell the world of the goodness of God. But they are now in the wilderness and it's Numbers chapter 11 and they are starting to moan. And what are they moaning about? They are moaning about the food. In fact, when you read Numbers 11 verses 4 through to 24, we haven't got time to go through it. They are having a really good grumble, a really good moan. They're saying things like, oh, look at this manna, this... Dropping from heaven every day. We are sick of this manner. We're in the middle of the wilderness. Oh, how I long for Egypt. I long for the melons. I long for the pomegranates, I long for all of this leeks and the onions and in their mind they're creating an image of what it was once like which was nothing how it was. But in the middle of their wilderness experience they are looking back rather than looking forward of what God is going to do. You see what they actually did in the middle of the wilderness was that first of all, they became critical and condemning of their leaders. Secondly, they started to wail and to moan and to groan about God. Thirdly, they idolized the past and looked back at the past as if it was wonderful, as if it was some kind of glorious Downton Abbey experience where all the servants lived and everything was beautiful. And you had it all happening and it was glorious and wonderful in Egypt when really it was not glorious. They were slaves, they were making bricks, they were under the taskmaster, they were in pain, and yet they idolized somehow the past. They jettisoned God himself in their thinking, and they rejected God's ultimate plan. This is a danger for all of us. Because something minor, like manna and food, which actually was miraculous, they managed in the middle of their wilderness to become harsh, to jettison God To create ideas that were not true. And they allowed themselves to become full of of anger and frustration. They allowed themselves to jettison God in the middle of their wilderness. Psalm 88 is a fascinating psalm. In Psalm 88, it is probably the most honest psalm that there is about what I'm going through. My pain, my friendships, I am agonizing. Life is difficult. Life is tough. What is interesting about Psalm 88 is that it is written as a psalm to be sung and spoken outside the door of the tabernacle where the presence of God is. And so they would come and they would proclaim this psalm and they would talk about their woes and their battles and frustrations and bondage and decay and pains and difficulty. And they would sing this psalm, but then they would go into the tabernacle to the Holy of Holies and the presence of the living God. Can I give you a principle when you're in the wilderness? Don't run from God. Don't jettison God's plan. Don't reject Christ. But the key is, be honest about what you go through. Sing the psalm of your heart, even if it is painful and difficult. And know that when you come to God and run to God in honesty, you will find his presence and his tabernacle will descend and be with you. He will strengthen you. And so they realized, we long for life the way that it was before. We look for someone to blame. We question God's goodness and faithfulness and love and wisdom. We understand that this is exactly what they were doing. They were questioning. And we are no different. When we go through a tough time, we do exactly these things. But there's a second stage that they moved on to. If if there was this, the bane of boring food, taking a minor issue and blowing it up, then suddenly we have the fear of threatening circumstances. Because when we're in the wilderness, the danger is when we face a difficult time is that we allow fear to take over our lives and this is exactly what happened to them fear started to take over their lives rather than faith rather than believing all that God had done rather than believing in what God can do suddenly Fear took over them and started to rip through their lives, started to overtake them. Spies had gone and looked at the land. They saw the great cities. They saw the giants and they were afraid we are lost between two worlds. God's freed us here. We've got to deliver the land and I am afraid. You see, in our own personal wilderness... Can I encourage you, rather than giving in to fear, seek God and allow God to give you faith. That you can go through this. You can know that God is with you. Numbers 14, verse 4. That night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness cheery bunch, aren't they? If only, only, look, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Oh, It's like Eeyore, isn't it? And the children will be taken. Oh, my tail's fallen off. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Fear took over rather than the faith in God's power and deliverance. And we've got a battle fear in the middle of our own personal pain and difficulty. They cried out, where is the Lord in all of this? How in the world did I get here? What will happen to me now? Where am I going These are often questions we ask ourselves in our own personal difficult times. We often say, where is the Lord in this? Well, you must ask the Lord where he is and you'll find the Lord will speak. How in the world did I get here? Let me remind you that they are the promised people. They've been set free from slavery. They have manna falling from heaven providing their needs. They have a cloud in the sky at day to guide them. They have fire at night. They have a place called the tent of the meeting where they can go and seek of the mind of God. They had the tabernacle right in the center of their tribe and the glory of the Lord. God is present, God is around them, God is providing for them, God is with them, but they're still giving in to fear. Because they're afraid of what will come. Don't give in to fear of what will come. Know that God is with you today. That he's going to be with you. That he's going to guide you. And finally, the blame game. They start to blame everybody. Oh, you're going to love this. We've gone from Numbers 11 to Numbers 14 and now Numbers 20. In the first month of the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin and there they stayed at Kadesh and there uh, Miriam died and was buried and now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died. There's a bit of repetition here. If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place it has no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates we all need a good pomegranate and there is no waters to drink I always find pomegranates really difficult to eat never quite know how to eat them uh, but they like that and so We realize that they're blaming everybody. They become angry. And in the wilderness, we can jettison God, we can give in to fear, and we can blame everybody around us. And it's really interesting how blame turns to anger. And the worst position for us in the wilderness is when we become so angry at people and things around us. When anger takes over. When anger starts to affect our lives. Because anger is a terrible thing. Anger, it's it's a poison in our lives that can rip us to pieces when we become angry. We see that, you know, you may even... You may see people even, you know, where the patient is, is so angry at their circumstances and blaming everybody about that they're screaming at the nurse in the hospital. When the guy in the car commuting in and out of the city becomes so full of rage and anger because of the gridlock that he explodes and wreaks havoc in his own life and blood pressure and, and the pain. We see the frustration and the blame turn with our young families when a, a parent becomes harsh and angry towards their children because really that's not the problem. They just become so disillusioned in the wilderness and they become so angry at what they are facing. We all travel through wilderness at some point in our life. We all face it in different ways So why? What good is wilderness? What does it teach us? Well, first of all, first, God was preparing them for the spiritual obstacles they would face in the suffering and the blessing of the promised land. In other words, God had a land for them and these obstacles were preparation for the great things that God was going to do. When you're in an obstacle... And you're facing a wilderness, instead of looking at it as a curse and blaming and doing all the examples of what Paul highlights in 1 Corinthians 10, where you stop and consider that the difficulty of your life is preparation for something how God is going to use you in the future and also in the age to come. You are being prepared. And your difficult times gives you an authority. Your difficult time will give you an ability. The difficult time will birth something within you as a person. Because you and I know we, are, we grow so deeply spiritually when we travel through difficult times and obstacles. Because in those times, really, we are tested. So look at your obstacle as a time of preparation for God doing great things. Secondly... They needed to see the propensity of their own hearts to drift away from trusting God and obeying his commands. I've said again and again, God is more interested in our hearts than he is in our comfort. And sometimes we travel through difficult wilderness because God is testing us about our heart about our motivation, about our devotion to him. And there will be periods in our lives when the testing comes and where your heart is. And that's why we must always seek to keep our hearts tender and keep our lives open and be transparent. And as James teaches us, travel through trials and treat them as a blessing Because they will form something in us that is precious and something that is remarkable. But the third and probably most exciting, they needed to see the regular demonstration of God's power so that they would not fear the things they could not defeat on their own. The wilderness was a place of miracle. The wilderness was a place of God's voice. The wilderness was a place where seas were parted. Food came from heaven, water from the rock, God defeated enemies, God protected them, the glory was there and his presence dwelt amongst the people. It was wonderful in so many ways and they understood that as they went into the promise, they had a miracle, powerful, working God that would always be with them. Can I encourage you in the middle of your wilderness to look for God's miraculous power at work? To not give up and believe that God can do it. Can I encourage you that you will learn to hear his voice in the middle of wilderness like you've never heard it before? And can I encourage you to not give up on God and jettison the plans, but allow him to come and minister to your soul? Whatever that challenge is, whatever challenge it will be, as you look back at the challenge that you've traveled through, how did you handle it? Because they were always traveling towards the promise. We have the promise. We will live forever. We will be with him. We have the gift of salvation. We are the most blessed people on this planet Because of Christ Jesus. And we have to remember that we are on a journey. Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, it's decaying. Yes, the world is groaning and there are problems. But let me remind you in the middle of a decaying, groaning world, we are his children with his presence. He is traveling with us and he will be with us even in the times of our wilderness. Hold on to that. Believe in that. I pray it for you. I believe it for you. I know that God will bring you through. A pastor's heart coming out. Let's pray together. Let's stand. And as we come and let's just pause before the Lord. And if you're in the wilderness right now, allow the Lord to come close to you at this moment in our service. Allow the Lord to minister his voice in your journey. Precious Lord and Saviour, we welcome you here. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and to comfort us if we're travelling through times of wilderness. Lord, for those of us who have faced immense pressure at work, in our businesses, in our finances, we face the wilderness of this. We pray right now you will minister to our souls in power. For those here that are carrying the burden of sickness in their body. that are believing for a miracle and believing for God's power. I pray that you will come now. And that God you will strengthen. In that wilderness. For relationships and family members for difficult times in our lives and our connection with people, we pray that you will minister in that. We ask for all manner, your miraculous voice, your presence, the encouragement of your word to surround us. Whisper to us, Guide us. Keep us from the temptation of following the example of those that are in the wilderness, to blame and become angry, to give in to fear in our circumstances of what could be. and to jettison your plan, and even to jettison you as our God. Help us. In this period of preparation to search our hearts and to see your power released, I ask.